Greetings. You're listening to the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. My name is Chris Smith. Whether you're a grizzled old salt, pining for the days of wire rope halyards, or a greenhorn, wondering what the hell a dolphin striker is, this is the podcast that seeks to fill the need for everybody's third most favorite pastime. That is, talking about sailing. Alrighty, welcome to this month's episode of The Bonnie Boat. Thanks for listening in. For this episode, I have for you a, a chat I had with my good friend, Jared Lawson. Uh, and he was the best man at my wedding. He's been my musical compatriot for many years. Uh, and for the purposes of this podcast, he is a meticulous and enthusiastic fisherman. Um, I've been fishing with Jared many times over the years, and I've always left the details to him. Uh, so I thought it would be interesting to pick his brain a little bit and see if we could come up with some advice for fishing as it applies to sailors. So if you're anything like me, and after you've anchored up in some picturesque cove, uh, you start looking at the water and wondering what's down there to eat. Uh, and yet, you don't know the first thing about fishing. That would be me. Uh, so if that's like you, listen up. Uh, <laughs> we talk about fishing uh, primarily uh, in the Chesapeake Bay, but that information would probably apply to anyone sailing on the tidal estuary. Uh, we talk about some ideas for catching fish along the, uh, the intracoastal waterway as well. Uh, he had a few pieces of advice that I thought were excellent, uh, particularly regarding fishing bridge pilings. Um, we talk about gear, uh, you know, some basic stuff and some upgrades, as well as some techniques for cleaning fish. Uh, so th there's a lot in here. I learned a lot talking to Jared, uh, and this conversation has encouraged me to spend just a little bit of time and, and thought prepping for hopefully increased success if and when I decide to to dip a line off a firefly. Enjoy. So when I first asked you to come on the podcast uh, and talk about fishing, you were initially a little hesitant uh, and said that you didn't feel expert enough to uh, to offer advice. Um, and if you want to offer some kind of disclaimer, that's that's fine. Um, but I thought I would start by saying that in the 15 years we've known each other, um, I've been fishing with you many times, I would say that those fishing trips fall into one of three categories. Uh, and that is times when we've gone, gone out and everybody's catching fish, uh, times when we've gone out and no one is catching fish. And then my personal favorite uh, is times when you are catching fish and no one else around us is catching fish. <laughs> um, and I feel like that's happened fairly frequently. So, so what I would say as to your ability to uh, inform people like like myself who don't know much about fishing um, is that the proof is in the pudding, uh, or more uh, more accurately in the cooler, so to speak. Uh, so that's that's my two cents. Um, I don't know. Do you want to say say anything about kind of how and where your fishing experience is, is applicable or maybe not as applicable? Well, yeah, man, you know, that's, that's fishing. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I've been doing this for a long time. My dad and I used to go out when I was, you know, four or five, six years old, catch bluegill. Actually, I was, I, I won a, a contest with the local news. They sent a picture in with me and a stringer full of bluegill. Nice. My parents won a uh, refrigerator. What did you get out of it? Who, me? Just, you know, <laughs> life, lifelong a, recognition. Your parents got a fridge and you got a, you got your recognition. That's good, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's one of the things, it's a passion. It's, uh, yeah. it's good for the soul. Um, you know, I feel like when I was younger, we lived 
40, 50 minutes from town. You know, we didn't really do a lot as far as social activities and that sort of thing. So I kind of found myself on the water. I think, you know, I had a lot of independence. Yeah. We lived on a little uh, tributary off the New River, and uh, I would spend my time, you know, walking the river, walking the, the creek, and uh, catching smallmouth bass, uh, channel catfish, walleye, all, all kinds of different species, trout. Um, so I kind of kind of grew up with it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, it's where I feel at home, in, you know, on the water, wherever. Yeah. So. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, cool. So I think um, we, and we kind of had talked about this a little bit, but, you know, for, for fishing from a sailboat, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird way to come at it, I guess, but, mm-hmm. but this is a sailing podcast. Um, but I've got, we, you know, two kind of general scenarios in mind, one being, you know, underway and then the other being at anchor. Um, so let's, let's just talk about fishing, tro- trolling, I guess while underway um kind of like what would you know and what's what's take kind of in general like what would you do around here so chesapeake bay centric and maybe we can talk about how it might be applicable elsewhere at, at some point but so let's say sailing around chesapeake bay what, what what's going to be your approach sure so other disclaimers i don't own a boat i've been fishing out a kayak for years and That's i love it. it counts yeah i mean it counts but you know <laughs> as far as you know tro- trolling i have a little bit of experience but it's you know it's not in the traditional style um but that being said i listen to a lot of podcasts i read a lot and i've gleaned a lot from from other folks and in the chesapeake bay i mean when folks are trolling a lot of times in this area it's for rockfish or striped bass um and, you know, sailboat, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how fast you move, like in general, like if you're just... I mean, butterfly is four knots, four or five knots and we're happy. I mean, probably, you know, I would say six or seven knots would be an upper level for, for most sailboats, you know, anywhere, you know, somewhere between four and seven knots would be an average. Okay. Yeah. I mean, most people, when they're trolling for rockfish, I think they're in that, you know, two and a half knot to four knot range. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're usually, you know, I guess we'll go over, you know, a little bit of equipment. Um, you know, I, I'm a conventional fisherman, so I don't use the fly rod and, uh, you know, for trolling, I would use what they call a conventional reel. And I think it would probably be the easiest thing, um, from a sailboat, you know, a conventional reel or, or a spinning reel. What is, so, um, so, so yeah, tell so, us. So the difference. conventional reel, um, has a, uh, basically a lever that back and forth that frees the spool. Um, so that way you don't have to cast. You so can, you can kind of when uh, you're so and so when you put the line out, the thing is going back and forth. Is that what you're talking about, or is that a different? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, yes, as um, opposed to a spinning reel. Which yeah, is, a spinning reel has a bail, and um, that's the the U-shaped clip thingy. Yeah, and you kind of like bend that back, and it, it, it frees the line from the spool. And that's more for casting. Well, you, I guess you could do you could do either, um, but I think the conventional reel for trolling would probably be your, your best bet. Okay, sorry, and one more question. So, a conventional reel is the spool oriented. So, with a spinning reel with the U-shaped clip that you flip back and forth, which is what in my mind is like a normal fishing pole. Uh-huh. The spool is oriented uh, perpendicular yeah. to the rod. Is in the conventional reel, it's facing. Yeah, yeah, the other way. Okay, yeah, okay. I got you then. I know what you're talking about. Cool. And uh, so, so basically, you know, either either one would work. Um, you're looking for, you know, if you're trolling us, I would say a stiff rod. Um, and, you know, around here, you know, there's all kinds of ways to do it. Um, 
for striped bass, um, umbrella rigs and, and moho rigs are, are pretty popular. Um, so what's, I mean, that's a, a t- yeah, I mean, I have no idea what that might be. Yeah. So like an umbrella rig is kind of like a wire rig that kind of looks like the frame of, of an umbrella. And on the eat on the end of each spoke, you would have a jig head, which is just a piece of lead with a, um, with a hook coming out of it. And on the end of each hook would be kind of a shad, uh, bait, you know, just kind of an artificial, shad representation okay cool um, so let me hang on let me dig into that so that's so the, in other words you have multiple lines coming off the main line is that a leader yeah, well you know your main line would connect right to the umbrella rig I think. so it's something you buy off the shelf it is for the most part? Yep. okay your main line would attach to a swivel which is connected to this kind of right. little rig and um, how how big i mean how how big is this it looks like a bait ball so it's probably you know circumference maybe it depends they're different sizes right but, you know, up to a foot and something okay, like that. And okay. it has maybe, you know, six to 12 baits, you know, maybe more. Oh, sometimes. wow. That many. Yeah. So it kind of, it represents uh, like, a, a, like a little school of fish. Little school of fish. I gotcha. And that's, I would say that's probably the most popular way that people troll for rockfish. And that, and that would work from a sailboat. I think you could, you could put that down. I, um, uh-huh. I'm going to interject because so you, when we went, when Ryan and I went on our ICW trip, you uh-huh. gave us a, 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 like a pretty complete set of fishing gear. And it took me to Florida to figure out what, the jig head was supposed to do. That's why I I, I put that in, on, on our list here because I was like I was like looking at this thing and it, it's like it looks like a fish head with a hook coming out of it. Uh-huh. And I was like, what the hell do you do with this? And then I finally figured out that the baits that you gave us that just look like the tail end of the fish go on the jig head. So anyway, that... gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> I'm having to like step back here a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, umbrella rigs, boho rigs, the mojo rig is like a it's a, it's a a bucktail, which is basically one of those jig heads that has some kind of skirt, like a hair skirt. Right. Uh, so it, it looks like a squid, squid kind of thing. Or a bait fish, you know, like a minhaden. But they have some like frilly things coming off well, of that. A lot of they'll be like a like a shad, like a plastic, you know, soft plastic shad attached to the jig uh-huh. to, to the bucktail. Uh-huh. Um, and those usually run around twenty to thirty ounces. So they're for kind of deep water trolling. And that's another popular method on the Chesapeake Bay for open water trolling for for striped bass. Um, and then you know traditional spoons, and then if you get into live bait like eels, that sort of thing, they'll you'll rig a live eel just on a hook and and have you know a bit of weight to keep it down. Yeah, and uh, I don't have much experience with that, but that's that's a pretty popular technique. And so have you ever heard? I've heard of people using black surgical tubing. Have you ever heard of this? Like as an old trick around here? Yeah, so tube and worm they call it. You know, it's more of a northern technique. Um, and uh, it, it's supposed to represent an eel. Right, um, right. Yeah, it's black surgical tube or red surgical tubing. And it has a couple of hooks. Um, and then you troll that at whatever level. I'm not sure how they get them down. Maybe a planer board or something like that. Planer is something that just kind of helps get your bait. Looks like it's like a little board that'll kind of get your bait at a specific depth. Right. And um, so I, that was kind of the next thing I had on my list here was was surface or depth. So you're So for rockfish, which is mostly what people are trolling for around here, you're looking at trolling deeper uh usually i mean it depends i mean you re- really you want a variety of rods out and i know you're kind of limited on space on a sailboat yeah yeah what i would do is just have one um a little deeper and then have one a little shallower you know one at like six to eight feet you know some up eight around six to eight feet then have one down at like 25 you know depending so, on the you know where you're at and so to get a bait get something down 25 feet are you looking at pr- pretty much having to use a planer it depends you know with those like the moho rig i was talking about with the, the, so the, you use the a heavy bucktail how big that can ounces, what is that? Is that i can't do my that it, math in my head how many it's yeah, fairly heavy it's heavy okay. yeah for sure yeah and, and, and that's, get you down 
And is that, that's also, I guess, affected by speed then too, right? Mm-hmm. So if, in other words, if you're going at three or four knots, that should be, and you let out enough line. Yeah, and a lot of folks will use, those conventional reels I was talking about, they make them um, with line counters. So uh, they'll actually count out how much line's going. And so how do you know then how deep it is? Well, it, I think it takes some, some feeling around. Sometimes you can actually catch it with your electronics, you know, kind of, um, you know, tag it as you're going along. You can kind of see it with your... Uh, if you have sonar, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's so that's probably not on a sailboat. That's almost, I would say, I, well, man, who knows, but it seems but unlikely. Th- the way I do it is just kind of figure out how much line is coming off the spool every turn and then keep track when I'm putting it down. And then you just kind of get a feel for it. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where you have there's to... Some, you, there's some technique to, and feel involved in that. For sure. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, so, and so... How would you approach? So that's in deeper water, I guess. Mm-hmm. But let's say you were sailing up like a tidal in a tidal creek or in a river versus out on the Chesapeake Bay or like out on Mob Jack or something. You know, how is there? Would you say there's a difference in fishing those different kinds of bodies of water? Yeah, you know, it, a lot of it. You know, when I'm looking for fish, I'm, I'm looking for structure. You know, mm-hmm. especially in the Chesapeake Bay, and that could be um, pilings, it could be um, oyster beds, it could be. Uh, an old wreck, you know, any any kind of, you know, like a grass flat, a contour change in the bottom. Yep. Um, really anything that uh, just kind of gives a fish like an opportunity to ambush prey, um, that sort of thing. So, you, you know, structure is the biggest thing. If you're, and a lot of times, you know, you, if you, you know you're going into an area, you can do your homework. You can use a, a tool like Google Maps um, or even, you know, uh, na- like Navionics mm-hmm. has some uh, contour maps where you can, even a subtle change, like a, a drop off or like a hole or a or a hump. Um, how much and how much do you think? Like a, like what's what would be a subtle change? Like what, ten feet? Yeah, you know, Eight it, feet, five honestly, feet? like you know, if you're like in a, you know, uh, you anchor up in like a, a bay or something, mm-hmm. and there's you know, if you're down south, like um, it's kind of a marshy area. You're on a you're on a, a flat. You know, yeah. You're, um, it, even just like a couple feet, you know, it could make it, a difference. It, yeah. For Something sure. like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Like when I'm speckled trout fishing um, in Mob Jack Bay here, you know, if I'm on the flats in the kayak, you know, just a, a subtle change of even a foot or so, um, just a, you know, it could be a, um, it could be a hole, it could it could be a channel, an old uh, creek channel, mm-hmm. any, anything like that. Um, they'll kind of uh, nest down in and kind of use that spot as an ambush point. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so. Just to go back to trolling in deep water, if you look, is that does that kind of rule of thumb hold fast too? Or for you know, for in deeper water, are you still looking for stuff like bottom stuff that might well, function as a? Yeah, I would follow. You know, if you're in deeper water, I would still kind of follow a channel or a channel ledge. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes fish will hold along like a, a drop off. Yeah, um, yeah. So if you can kind of stay on the ledge. Um, yeah. I think a lot of times you'll do better. And, um, so like, let's say, so like around here, if you were going like, you know, so there's obviously there's the shipping channel, which is fairly deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like inshore of that, there's probably like a, a tw- like once you get out of like the rivers and the bays, there's probably like a 20 foot contour that then drops down to a little deeper as you get out towards the, the shipping channel, something like that, if you were sailing along up the bay, would be would be something to target. Yeah, I think so. You know, like I said I don't have a lot of experience with that, but 
um, you know, if you if you did have some kind of uh, fish finder sonar system on on your on your boat, right, right, um, you would kind of you know keep an eye on that. Look for uh, look for bait. Look for yeah balls of bait. Um, you know, look for fish. But um, you know, and a lot of it, you know, is trial and error and that sort of thing. Yeah, kind of got to you got to put some baits out and and put in the time. Um, but you know, if you're if you're just going from point A to point B, um, uh, you know, and you're not your fishing's not exactly the end goal. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. I would just try to to follow you know some kind of contour change, some kind of ledge, some kind of drop off, and just you know pick a point and then maybe you know start out you know fifteen feet and then you know maybe go a little deeper. You know, yeah, kind of. I see. Feel, yeah, feel it out. And so and so I guess. The, maybe something to consider too would be as you're coming up because there's a lot of like charted wrecks and stuff mm. that you know probably don't have a whole lot of you know they're not sticking up off the bottom at this point much but they're you know there's probably little nooks and crannies mm-hmm. so if you were planning a course around that sort of thing drop your speed as you come up on something like that yeah I mean you you have to vary speed you know so it kind of got to let the fish tell you what they want a lot of times listen uh, to the fish exactly <laughs> um, and you know, with some of the, in the, you know, in the bay too, I shouldn't say just rockfish. There are some pelagic species that uh, fast swimmers, like Spanish mackerel, king mackerel, that sort of thing, that come into the bay mm-hmm. here and there. Um, and you know, a lot of times, you know, if you're targeting Spanish, which, which are, you know, I would say prevalent in the summer. Is that more? And is that more down towards the bridge tunnel? Uh, no, they catch them up, you know, near the mouth of the Rappahannock. When okay. Point, is that about, and that's about as far north as they go? I, I've heard that they go a little further, but I, I don't think much further. Regularly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they use just a, it's called a Clark spoon, and it's a tiny bait that, you know, it's a silver, mm-hmm. kind of resembles a little spoon, um, fairly small. And they usually run those on planer boards. Um, so they get uh, down What they call a number one or number two. Um, and then I think the number one gets you down around 15 to 20 feet, something like that. Uh-huh. And, uh. But same thing, you kind of got to play with speed. I think for the mackerel and that sort of thing, mackerel and bluefish also will you control for bluefish. Yeah, no, that and that's bay. they're fairly prevalent too, right? I mean, that, they there's are. a lot of bluefish around. Yeah, you don't see as many big ones as, as we used to in the bay, but I'm definitely still around, and you, you can find them. Yeah. What? What now? What time of year is, is that? Um. So. Bluefish, you know, especially the smaller ones, I catch all year long. Um, uh-huh. uh, I would say, you know. The bigger ones come in, especially, you know, Oceanside, the inlets, like Rude Inlet, Lynn Haven, and, yeah. and that sort of thing around here. Um, kind of late spring, mm-hmm. they'll come in. Okay. And are they in, do they come move up, do they, do they move up into the, further into the bay, or are they stay fairly close to the mouth? The larger bluefish used, you know, traditionally used, used to come into, the, you know, further up into the bay, but I, I think the last few years we haven't, we haven't really seen them. Uh-huh. Um, I think they kind of stay closer to the ocean. Okay. Cool. But, you know, if you're out in the ocean, you know, kind of yeah. close to shore, yeah. um, it's definitely an option. Um, so I wanted to talk about the ICW a little bit. I don't know how much, because again, my my impression when Ryan and I went down the ICW was that a lot of it, is, it's, it feels fem- similar to a lot of the, the, the waterways around here. You know, it's mar- it tends to be marshy, low and marshy, um, and like a lot of the tidal rivers on the southern part of the bay kind of remind me of a lot of the um, <clears throat> those sections down there in, in north and south carolina georgia just extensive marshes tidal guts um obviously you have some like way some pretty serious tidal action down there um so that was kind of what i wanted to ask you um a lot of times you're if you're chugging down the icw you're coming up you you're either fighting the current or you're 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 going with it um so is there like a are you going to have better luck going with it to fish generally travel with the current? Are they going to be hunting into the current? How does that work? 
Well, usually fish are kind of pointed into the current. They're waiting okay. for fish to kind of wash down on them. You know, it's that, you know, or bait fish or mm-hmm. some kind of prey. So in other words, so that would... So seem- if you're casting, cast up current and bring it down. And if you're trolling, just troll with current. So, you know? so, so trolling against the current was probably a waste of time? Uh, I mean, you know, I would say better, generally... Better luck with the current. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. So you've done some fishing from Firefly. Maybe we should tell that story, the most recent story. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, let's, yeah, let's do that. Cause, so we were bringing Firefly around from uh, Queens Creek over to Deltaville to get her hauled for the summer or for the winter. And um, wind completely died on us right off of Stingray, Stingray Point. And <laughs> you were, there was, how many fishing boats do you think were out there that day? I mean, it was close to a hundred. I mean, it was a lot. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was happening. And there was, I mean, there was seagulls there. I mean, there was huge, just huge flock of birds diving and, uh, and the, you could see the water kind of boiling where the, every now and then where, where the bait ball would come up. And, uh, you, well, you, you continue the story here. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was a, a feeding frenzy, I would say, you know, the, the tons of hundreds of birds, boats everywhere. And, uh, obviously, uh, rockfish actively feeding on, uh, and sorry, rockfish striped bass. Right. Um, and, uh, feeding on Minhaden, Bunker, uh, pogies, depending on where you are. Um, is that all the same fish? It is. Yeah. You okay. know, depending oh, on where you are. Pogies. I don't think I knew that. Okay. Bunker up here further south. I think they're calling pogies. Okay. Um, and you know we, you were like let let's go for it, and we had uh, you know one rod, just a just a normal <laughs> boat rod, uh, kind of set up on the back of the sailboat, and we had uh, just a tandem rig with two bucktails, uh-huh. um, and uh, you know we sailed right or sailed right in there and right amongst them. And uh, <laughs> I was I was a little nervous because there was there's a lot of you know a lot of a lot of boats kind of milling about, and they were all moving fairly slowly, and. Uh, we only had, I think we had the main up just to kind of steady her out a little bit, but there was, there's almost no wind and we kind of just charged in there and kind of like shouldered our way into the, into just kind of, we kind of skimmed the edge of that bait ball and, uh, and how, I mean, you, you had a fish on like within. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Had a lot of, a lot of crazy looks from the, from the fishing boats and, uh, that's a lot of fun. For yeah. Sure. No, that was pretty uh, funny. Yeah. Just a, just a small guy, but it was fun to catch. I, you know, I didn't see a lot of other people actually catching. So no, I didn't see anyone pulling anything into a boat. So yeah. Um, and that, this is off the, the mouth of the Rappahannock, I guess mm-hmm. we should say. But, you know, generally, you know, you were talking about the ICW and, uh, that sort of thing. If you're kind of, I guess it's kind of shallow. It's, yeah, I mean, there's a dredge channel, but like, I guess, I mean, it's, it's fairly variable, but I guess in my mind, what I'm thinking is sections that are like, like the East River, like out here, mm-hmm. like, um, there's lots of rivers and creeks that are kind of connected by these dredge channels, but the rivers and creeks themselves are fairly natural. Like I said, marshy, there tends to be some housing along the edge, but they're, you know, anywhere from a few hundred yards to a half mile across, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and, uh, you know, they're tidal and brackish, I would say. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, in those situations, um, you know, keep looking for structure, look for those uh, oyster bars, especially mm-hmm. as you go further south. Um, uh, you know, it could be docks, uh, bridge pilings. So do you think, here's, um, actually, here's something I didn't think of until just now, um, I was in my mind. I was kind of splitting it into like trolling while underway and then fishing while at anchor. But I mean, do you think like if let's say you're motoring down a stretch of the ICW, do you think it's worth like just kind of like putt putting along and casting off the boat at docks and stuff? I mean, you know, if you're if you're going slow enough, you couldn't hurt. So if you can, if you have time to kind of work the bait, or so you would have to kind of like 
take it easy and kind of like slow down. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I guess that makes. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what you see when you see the guys in the skiffs casting off the bow. That's kind of what they do, and they work their way down the line of docks. Yeah, so I, I mean, guess that makes sense. I mean, it can't hurt, but yeah. it, it might be a little tough. Uh, yeah, yeah, if you're trying to get somewhere by the end of the day. Yeah, um, and you know, th- another thing too is kind of pay attention to the tides, and especially if you're, you know, if there are some kind of smaller tributaries, tidal creeks or anything like that, um, you know, typically um, on an incoming tide that'll bring, you know, fresh salt water mm-hmm. and, uh, bait into those creeks and actually predatory fish into the creeks to kind of look for, for bait fish that kind of hang out there. Um, you know, I would say on the incoming tides, I'm kind of more pr- prone to go into the, those backwater areas, yeah. marshes, um, creeks, that sort of thing, and look for, you know, uh, you know, if we're sticking to the East Coast and um, Virginia South, you know, redfish, speckled trout, um, when you get way further south, snook, um, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I mean, and when the tide's coming out, you know, it's bringing a lot of that bait back out to the mouth or, you know, kind of the head of those those tributaries or marshes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one thing you can kind of pay attention to. Tidal movement, any kind of water movement is, is kind of crucial. When you're when you're looking for for uh, game species, yeah. I'd say. Okay, cool. That's good. Good to know. So, um, having done some fishing from Firefly uh, underway, <laughs> any thoughts on like a w- good ways to optimize a sailboat? <laughs> if it's just for fun and, and you're just kind of you know putting a bait out there just to see what happens. Yeah. A couple rod holders on the back. Yeah. And uh, from point A to point B, you never know what'll happen. Yeah. So just something simple like we did, we had a, it was a tandem bucktail rig, you know, and, you know, those bucktails imitate a bait fish. Um, I think we had like a six to eight ounce on, on, you know, the bottom. And then further up, we had like a three to four ounce bucktail. Um, and uh, anything simple like that, or even they make some, they make it even simpler. They make some deep diving crankbaits, which is kind of a hard plastic bait with, uh-huh. uh, with treble hooks. Um, I think man stretch and there's there's a bunch of them out there. Um, what's it? What is it? What's it generally called? It's a, a, a crankbait. Crankbait. Deep, deep, di- deep, deep diving crankbait. Crank but they make them kind of for salt water. Uh-huh. Um, that they go pretty far down. You know, go down to that twenty twenty five. Okay. Feet. Yeah. And that's and so that's just and how would you would you rig that on? Well, you know, if we want to get into rigging and that sort of thing, um, those I mean, you could really you could just tie stick directly it. to the to your main line, whatever that is. You stick it on the end and toss uh-huh. it over. Yeah, I mean, most of the time here, I'm in the Chesapeake Bay. I'm fishing with braid, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, you can really kind of feel the bites. Um, it has you know really low stretch, and uh, it's a it, it's a kind of a finer di- diameter, so you can get a, a lot of uh, line onto your spool. And if you're finishing like traditional monofilament, um, you know it's fine. Um, it's a little more uh, abrasive resistant. Um, it floats, which is good if you're fishing top water, but it is, it's uh, a thicker diameter and you can't get as much, you know, on the spool and it's a, uh, it's a little harder to kind of feel the bite. It's like kind of trying to feel the bite through a marshmallow on your thumb. So it's, I, I tend to fish braid, but you know, pe- people, you know, it's kind of their preference, whatever, Yeah, you know, works for you. Um, and I guess, so, but what's, so we were talking about this, these, the, like a crankbait is kind of a simple way to do this. Mm-hmm. And so you wouldn't put, you wouldn't rig that with like an um, an umbrella or anything like if, if i did anything you know if there were spooky fish or the water was really clear i mean you could you could have the main line um uh, you know attached to like a fluorocarbon leader and fluorocarbon right. is 
It's just a, it's very clear. It's kind of hard for the, the fish to see, very uh, abrasive resistant, and it does tend to sink. Um, so for something like a deep diving crankbait, if you wanted a fluorocarbon leader, you could either attach your main line to like a, a very small swivel, you know, and then have the leader going to the crankbait, you know, whatever, like three to six feet of a uh-huh. leader or you know, whatever you want to do. Um, or you could tie something like um, like a uni to uni knot, just a, a line to line knot, and, um, which I do a lot for the for smaller fish. Gotcha. And I have somewhere on here about knots, so let's actually let's maybe talk about that real quick. So you, uh, a uni knot. We yep. don't have to just what's, we, we're, we're, let's not even try to describe knots. But what's just so like uh, is there like a handful like one two three knots that like you should just learn for fishing? Yeah, sure. Um, so. The uni knot is great, and you can use that to attach a, a main line um, to a bait, or it's it's, it's really versatile. Um, or you can do a uni to uni, which will attach, um, and especially like braid to fluorocarbon or blade mm-hmm. to monofilament, attach two different lines. Um, and then what I use is an improved clinch knot. It's just a kind of a standard fishing knot mm-hmm. to to attach most baits to your to your main line or or rigs. Um, an improved clinch knot. Improved clinch knot. Okay, so we've got a uni, a uni to uni, an improved clinch knot. Yeah, and then the other one, I you know, I use uh, a rapala knot or a loop knot fairly often, and that's just to kind of give a bait a little more action. It's um, so the knot um, uh, doesn't kind of attach directly down to to your uh, your hook eye. Um, it leaves like a little loop, and um, so, so it, it kind of wiggles, play it kind for, of wiggles around a little bit. Yep. Yeah, okay. Use that one a lot. Um, I'm sure I use more, but that's, those that's are the main. Some, yeah, I would say so. Okay, cool, good. Um, so we've been talking about fishing underway. What's what's kind of changed gears to fishing at anchor? Um, I guess first off, so most like cruising sailboats are going to have a dinghy of some sort, a small boat of some sort aboard. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's worth getting getting into the small boat and like poking around, or can you just fish right off the big boat? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on where you're anchored. Right. I mean, you can always try it, but it, you know, it might be worth your time to have a dinghy or even, you know, a kayak on board. Yeah, yeah. To kind of get out and about a little bit. Um, you know, and bottom fishing is really the easiest way. I mean, if you're just trying to catch a few fish, maybe, you know, some smaller fish for, for meat on the table. That yeah, might, um, yeah, yeah. Bottom fishing, you know, it's, it's a great way to do that. And, then, you know, in the Chesapeake Bay, you can, you know, croaker spot, um, you can catch some smaller bluefish trout, um, that sort of thing, and, and as you as you go south, you know, um, whiting, um, mm-hmm. pompano. Um, yeah, you know, I think actually, I think Ryan and I caught a pompano. No, 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 no. It was a jack. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, but lots of you know, lots of, and actually, any you know, you can catch anything fishing on the bottom. And, yeah, and there's some simple rigs. Um, you know, just a uh, a standard high low rig, um, which is basically just a it's a wire rig that has a couple of arms shooting off mm-hmm. um, a few inches apart. And, uh, you know, you attach a hook to each arm and then you have a weight on the bottom and you can, you know, whatever bait, there's strips of squid or small shrimp or blood worms, you know, are big around here. Um, and, you know, just kind of keep your line taut and, you know, Sit try to, bottom. yeah, give it a few minutes. If you're not getting anything, you know, move Warm. down, move down the way. Yeah. Um, and that's a great way just to kind of, you know, get, get some meat on the boat. Um, you know, if, and if you're targeting larger species, um, you could use what's called a, a bait finder rig, which is basically just main line attached to a swivel with an egg sinker, which um, is, is kind of floating on your main line. It kind of looks like a, yeah. like a little little egg. Um, yep. And so it's not attached to any one point? No, no it's, it's kind of just kind of floating around. on the main line and gets stopped by the swivel. Right. And then from the swivel, you have a leader 
um, you can keep it short or, you know, if you can, I usually, I think do two to three feet a liter, um, attached to a, a J hook or a circle hook. And those are kind of standard, um, standard hooks for rigging live bait, a J hook, um, you know, it's with a J hook, if you do get a hit, you need to actually set the hook, kind of pull the rod back and set the hook mm-hmm. with a circle hook. They kind of, uh, they do it for you. They, with a circle hook, a lot of fish will, um, hook themselves in the side of the mouth. You yeah. just kind of keep tension on the line. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and you know, if I was using that setup, I'd be using kind of a larger bait, like a, like a Minhaden or, you know, a small mullet or, a, um, a, or a chunk of bait too. You know, you could use like a, a hot dog. Yeah, whatever. A hot dog. <laughs> sure, sure. Hot dog. Is that, I mean, is that, is yeah, that people a, do do that. Is that a reasonable for, thing to do? Well, I mean, if you're catfishing sometimes, like yeah. channel catfish, right, right, I'll right, use right. A, a, a bait and I have used hot dogs in the past, like on the new river. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, what about like packaged baits? Like the, uh, fish, is it fish bites? The, um, like the artificial stuff. Um, can you substitute that sort of thing in generally? Or is that, is that, a, is there kind of special, considerations when you're using that sort of thing no man those are great you know especially for those smaller fish like i said whiting mm-hmm. over spot the fish bites um i usually get you know the, the blood worm variety but really they, they have a lot of different flavors and, uh, uh, yeah. and, they, and they all work and that's a good you know especially if you're on like a long trip and you you know you don't want to have a bunch of stinky bait on board you, you yeah know, kind of a little in cooler space those those are a great option we're kind of targeting you know some of those smaller um species i would say okay cool cool yeah um, so let's say, uh, you know, you come into a place you've never been before, no local knowledge, you just, you have your chart. Um, and you've, in some ways you've probably answered a lot of this, but what are you looking for? You, you said you're looking for structure, um, you know, depth contours, you're, you're considering the stage of tide. Um, you know, let's say, what would, how would you approach fishing in a new place like that? Well, you know, anytime, you know, you go into a new place and if you can do your homework ahead of time, you're always better off. So yeah. like if I go somewhere new, like I'm looking at Google maps, um, you know, I'm looking for, uh, choke points where, where, uh, you know, will there be a little more water movement where fish will kind of have to come through, you know, out mm-hmm. of those tributaries or it could even be something like, you know, a couple of islands or something like that, where you kind of have that Venturi effect water moving right, right, right. through, um, but you know do your homework kind of get online look for those depth changes look for grass flats look for oyster bars look for anything that you know just structural or that kind of sets a place apart um so i always always do my homework um and then you know once you're there you just keep your eyes up and look for diving birds look for bait you know you know the biggest thing you want to have moving water in general you want to have some kind of tidal movement mm-hmm. You want to have, you want to see bait, you want to, you know, you want to see life, yeah. whatever it is, crabs, shrimp, um, you know, it, the Chesapeake Bay, like the, uh, the bay chovies, small silver signs, things yeah. like that. Yeah. You want to, you want to see life. And, you know, if you see some, like rays are always a good indicator that there are other feeding fish about. Uh-huh. It's really just kind of, you know, situational awareness. Kind of <laughs> nice. Looking around. Um, yeah. No matter what you're doing on the water, it's important, right? That's right. Um, you know, and a lot of it's just, it's going to be time. And, you know, if you're somewhere new, be a little bit of luck involved. And yeah. if you can yeah. get down to a local tackle shop or even call ahead. Do they, will they tell you for real? I mean, a lot of them will. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you, you know, especially if you go in and, you know, shake hands and, uh, you know, make a purchase and chat them up a little of, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Get a little bit of that local knowledge. Um, never hurts. Yeah. Or um, even, even like guidance, I would think on what species are, kind of around at that time of year would probably be able to 
guide your Googling a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. You can kind of, and you know, the online forums are great. You know, there's a lot of, you know, specific groups on Facebook for, mm-hmm. different, for different areas. And, yeah. Um, you know, that sort of thing. I, I kind of hit all that before I, I go somewhere new. Yeah. What about, I know you're, so you do most of your fishing from a kayak. Um, any kind of specific tips for that? I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people who probably carry a kayak on the boat. Um, they're cheap and plentiful these days. There's a lot of them around. Um, they're fun, you know. So anything kind of specific to, to fishing from a kayak? Yeah, you know, you know the sit on top varieties I found are, are much easier to fish from. Right, um, I would think, and that's probably. I mean, most people aren't going to carry a a big touring kayak. Well, you never know, but yeah, I, I mean, some people do it, but yeah, you know, at least I've found it's a lot easier. You just have uh, more mobility. Yeah, it's, it's easier to you know kind of find things and, and uh and it you know it gives you a little bit of a height advantage. It's easier to kind of see what's going on around yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would, you know, I recommend a sit on top kayak. Um, I run a, a Trident 13, um, and it's kind of a, a stable kind of, uh, you know, big water. Yeah. It's a pretty badass kayak. Place. It's pretty sweet. But, you know, even in general, I would, you know, sit on top and then, you know, a good anchoring system, mm-hmm. um, I think is, is important. I just use like a, a three to five pound grappling anchor. Yeah. Um, and then you know a good paddle. You know if if you are paddling, they have the the paddles and the and the pedal kayaks. You say, but if you're paddling, you know I would take I would spend the money on on a on a really decent paddle. Yeah, um, really makes your life easier. Um, yeah, and in a lot of ways, it's like you know that's I remember I don't actually remember who told me this, but when we were ready, getting ready to do our ICW trip, someone said like, oh well, you know it's it's easy to forget about it, but like it's really easy to get in trouble on the little boat on the dinghy. Um, and in some ways a kayak, I mean, it's, you can, I mean, it's a powerful rowing machine. You can really, you know, it's easy to, to row into the, or it's easy. It's, it's a lot easier to row into the wind in a kayak than in like a rubber, you know, an inflatable dinghy. So in some ways it makes a good, pretty good tender in addition to being a good, good platform for, uh, for fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. Um, and you know, they're pretty versatile, um, these days. I mean, it, and you know, another thing I recommend is, some kind of I use a uh, a milk crate on the back of mine, and it has some rod holders and has stuff you know, stuff you know where you can store yeah um, you know baits or pliers or, or you know whatever you need. Um, it's always have a, good, a place to stash some things. A That's good option. Good. Fishing from a kayak. Um, how does wind play into that, or just in general? How does like so you know flat calm, a little bit of breeze? What's how is that going to affect things? Well, I'll tell you what, when I'm, when I'm planning a trip, I try to plan on paddling into the wind and then letting the wind bring me back home. Well, that, yeah, sure. That makes sense. So if you cast with the wind, you're going to have a, you know, a longer cast, right. an easier time right. casting. Um, so, that, you know, if you can cast into the wind, always, always makes your life easier. Right. Um, but, you know, and the other thing is that wind, especially when you're in a small boat, it can definitely create some current. So you can kind of use that to your advantage, you know, if I, and, and this is where, you know, if, if I, sometimes I will cast into the wind so that I can bring the bait kind of with the current that, uh, the, that the wind's creating. Okay. Um, but if, you know, if let's say I was throwing like a popping cork, which is just, um, it's just a, like a float, um, that has some beads on each side and, uh, has a small, like two to three foot leader with a, some kind of bait. Um, and you kind of, pop the cork and it makes a sound and then the bait kind of stays underneath. So if it's something like that where, you know, you're not actually having to, to bring the lure back, then I would probably cast into the wind and take the, the cork farther 
and then uh, you know just make casting a little easier. Yeah, so gotcha. it, it kind of depends on, on on what you're doing. Does it? So now, does it? Is it going to affect the fish's behavior in any way if it's windy or a little bit rough and choppy? Well, you know, it's the same thing. If if the wind is creating kind of some water movement, then those fish are kind of going to be looking into that movement. So they're going to be looking towards the way that, you know, I got that, you. The, that the water's moving. So, so it's, I got you. Okay. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Um, so let's talk about what kind of species you're going to be looking for. Um, probably, at least from my perspective, like what's easy to catch, what's easy to like put, you know, make fish tacos out of. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, it depends, you know, if, um, if you're like kind of inshore um, and you're, you're fishing flats or marshes or, or little bays, um, you know, common around here are puppy drum, which mm-hmm. are small redfish, um, speckled trout. There'll be some croaker, some spot, that sort of thing. And, you know, if you're looking for an easy meal, like I said, just the, the bottom, the bottom rig, the, the, uh, the high low rig mm-hmm. on the bottom, put some fish bites, you know, have an ounce or two of weight um, on the end of that rig. That's that's probably your your easiest bet, you know, if you're trying to make try, just trying to get some some meat in the boat. Yeah. Um. You know, there are other you know situations like if you were like I know you went through a lot of bridges. So when yeah. Going on the ICW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially down south, there's a fish called like a sheep's head. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of hangs out right on this pilings. Really. Um, and they eat barnacles and, and okay and little oysters and that short. How sort of would thing. you so how would you go about catching a sheep's head? Well, you know, some people just use, you know, the standard high-low rig and kind of, um, you can catch them with uh, shrimp. Some people use oysters. So it's, yeah, yeah. So you'd be doing a bottom. Yeah. But there, you know, there's different ways to, to catch them. Um, there's a, a, a really cool jig called a bottom sweeper jig that um, is kind of made for targeting uh, sheep's head and blackfish or tautog. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're up north or blackfish, if you're further south, tautog. Uh-huh. Um but you know these fish that kind of uh, they kind of target those uh, shellfish on pilings a different structure and this little bottom sweeper jig you just put you know a small crab um, usually like a fiddler crab or a, uh-huh. or a or a fresh shrimp or something like that and you kind of fish close to that piling or that structure and a lot of times if there are um, sheep's head or, or tothog kind of holding on that structure to catch them that way yeah no, that's... and then that's an easy way it's just your main line right to the to the bottom sweeper jig and then, yeah. No, that's 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 cool. I cause that's the kind of thing like especially down, um, yeah, down south when you're going through these bridges on the ICW, you end up kind of like if you miss the opening, sometimes it's an hour. So instead of just rolling around burning fuel, anchor up, take the little dinghy, try to get a sheep's head in the boat. It sounds like fun. Yeah, definitely. And they're good eating. You know? um, how and are they? So do they stray far from inlets? Like do they go up creeks much, or is that almost, is that stuff that's real close? Do they mostly stay? They close really to the ocean? hold the structure. So you know the you know. Um, with sheep's head and that sort of thing, it's really, you got to pay attention to the current. So, you know, if the current, let's say the bridge is going right across yep. like a creek mm-hmm. and the tide's coming out, then they will be, you know, on the side of the piling that's kind of away from the creek, just like towards the open water. So that as, you know, they're the, kind of hiding, hiding behind the pilings as the, exactly. as the water's flowing And as the water's it. going past, then they'll ambush okay. prey that way. Okay, cool. That's and, and then, you know, when the tide turns around, it's, you know, it's off. So that, so you want to, you want to target the... And I would say that's in general. In know, general, the, yeah. like the downstream side of the bridge yeah. is, is, okay, cool. That's good to know. So what about uh, cleaning fish kind of in general and any special considerations for, for particular fish? Yeah, you know, a lot of them, uh, it's, 
you know, if you want to make it real simple, you can knock the scales off of them. You know, just take a take a knife and kind of um, move it along the side of the fish and kind of rake the scales off the mm-hmm. fish. And then you can just kind of make an, an insertion um, from the anus and the, up towards the mouth and then, you know, get so rid, of, get rid the, of all the so innards. You cut the, you cut the belly open. Cut the you belly slim, open. Slim down the belly. Yep. Yep. Cut, scoop out the guts. Yep. Scoop out the guts. And then, you know, you don't even have to cut the head off. You know? Yeah. You can just, just cook them like that. Exactly. That's the easiest thing. Uh-huh. Then, but if you do want to fillet them, um, you know, you could still scale them. Uh-huh. And, and then, you know, you kind of, uh, I start at the tail uh-huh. and you kind of make a cut. And then kind of get your knife like right against the uh, the spine, right? Backbone, and start kind of just slowly working your way up. Um, and you know, a lot of fish are different. They'll have uh, like kind of weird bones here and there. So it, it depends on what you're it's what you're cleaning. Species specific. Yeah, I would say so. But you know, in, in general, the technique's the same. And then you just kind of comb over the the fillet when you're done, and kind of look for pin bones yeah, or yeah, yeah. or anything that you missed. Um, is it, would, would you say there's a size, like, does it make sense? It doesn't, probably doesn't make sense to fillet, like, an 8-inch croaker, right? I mean, not really. I mean, you're wasting a lot of meat. Yeah. You know, I, and in general, you know, if you do cook the fish with the bones in and the head on, I mean, you're, you're just keeping all that moisture in. They're, just, I, they're more tasty. I yeah. think you just get, have them. Throw them in tinfoil. Yeah. Call it a day. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what about staking a fish? That's is that a pretty big fish if you're going to cut them, like, cross-section like that? Yeah. If you, if you, you know, if you were to catch, like, a, like a, like a larger bluefish or like a cobia or uh-huh. or something like that where you do have a little more girth on the fish then yeah then you know some people will stake them out you mm-hmm. know and you'll still have like kind of the backbone right right to deal with and that sort of thing um but, and then what about i remember hearing that some people like bleed out uh, like bluefish is that something that you worry about you know it if you're not a fan of that kind of fishy flavor you know i, I don't mind it yeah but a lot of people do and they'll uh they'll bleed out the fish um so you can either you can do a couple things. You can kind of clip their gills, just take a right. you know a sharp pair of scissors or a knife and kind of clip the gills, and then you know have them on a, a stringer or something or just throw them in your cooler, let them bleed out that way. And you can also cut like right behind the tail. Uh-huh. Um, you can just kind of make an incision, kind of um, down to the bone, uh-huh. and that'll bleed them out pretty fast as yeah. well. Okay, and then you just have just a cleaner tasting meat. I yeah. Would say. What about um. What about rays? Is that uh, I mean, that's I guess in some ways, is there a special consideration for catching them a and and cleaning them b? Well, you know, I would say especially if you're fishing with like live bait or something on the bottom, and there uh-huh. are rays about, there's there's a good chance you're going to hook up. Yeah. Um, I would say most people don't bother because it's just it, you know it's kind of a pain. Yeah. Um, you know, I I clean them every now and then. I mean, uh, I think they're, they're delicious. The times I've had them, they're 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 pretty good. Yeah, and it's really not, you know, if I keep a ray or a skate or something mm-hmm. like that, um, you know, you got to be quick because it's uh, it's one of the, when they get stressed out, they kind of, uh, right. uh, yeah, they emit ammonia through the skin, um, which can kind of ruin the meat. So usually when I catch them, I, you know, I, I get them somewhere where I can clean them quick, and then I basically just kind of fillet the wings off right. of the body. Yeah. Just kind of follow... Uh, is the, there like, the shoulders kind of um yeah okay i can kind of picture that so, yeah just kind of stay close to the body and just kind of work your way around and i just you know you keep the wings and then the rest of it is, is, is discarded yeah basically because um, i've heard of people so like this is there a way to soak them to to it or is that the best thing it's just like get them in the boat cut off the wings call it i would say the sooner you can clean them the better yeah have you heard have you familiar with people soaking wings They'll, to get the flavor that flavor out with a lot of kind of strong tasting fish or fish that have 
sat too long or uh, anything like that. You yeah. can you can soak fish in milk, uh-huh. um, and that'll draw out some of that fishy flavor. And actually, I I don't do it, but yeah, but that's that's that's, that's, a, that's, that's, that's you would so, you would soak them in milk if you were going to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about so? And you've heard me tell this story, but so Ryan has a, has a lot. When we were on our ICW trip, she was much more successful at fishing. She has patience for it. <laughs> Whereas I would just stick, you know, whatever guts from the fish that she caught onto a big hook and toss it over the side and occasionally catch a catfish. Yeah. Um, which I like doing, um, because they're big and they're fun. But wh- I never actually cleaned one because I, I couldn't be bothered. But mm-hmm. what, catching catfish A and then cleaning catfish, what's the, um, what's the technique? Well, so if you're catching, uh, like a saltwater variety of catfish, mm-hmm. um, really slimy, um, and not really, the best re- eating, really hard to work with. I uh, mean, people eat them. I think there's like, what are the, the gaff top catfish? Right. We, um, that's what we caught down. Yeah. Water. You know, t- people definitely, definitely eat them. I would uh-huh. say in general, you know, for, for fishermen, it's kind of considered a, a, a trash fish a per trash se. Fish, yeah. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm all about eating trash fish. So yeah, you, know, yeah. I, you can do it in, in general, you know, the way I deal with like a freshwater catfish. Um, and I think, you know, it would probably apply to the saltwater catfish. Mm-hmm. I never caught one myself. Um, but you know, since they are slimy, I, I like to keep them rigid. So I usually, um, go to the nail and I, uh, <laughs> you know, you put a nail through the head. We have, well, you know, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm gonna we're going to have to, uh, record, uh, catfish, my favorite fiddle tune for the end of this yeah we should do it <laughs> for sure so anyway continue yeah um so put a nail through the head into a board um and then with the catfish you, you kind of got to get rid of the skin because it's tough and it's slimy so you, you're not you got it, all right so you got to skin it and, it, and is it's it and it's not scaled it's a different kind of thing right so yeah it's just it's, it. it's yeah it's skin it's uh-huh. just kind of like a slimy like skin i don't know it's hard to spell, <laughs> but, uh, yeah and, and for that um i usually I, i'll make a cut up, you know, close to the head, like right above the gill or, or above the fins, the pectoral mm-hmm. fins. Yep. Um, and then I'll make two cuts all the way down to the tail on either side of the spine. Two two cuts, so one cut on each side. Yep, yeah. Just kind of like close a, all, to the spine. Yeah, like right on top of the fish. Gotcha. Like, yep. Um, and uh, you know, then I have a, a special pair of pliers, and you kind of get a corner of the skin, and, and you kind of and you kind of pull back. And you have and to kind of like do you have to work it with the knife, kind of. No, it'll, it'll just usually it just, it'll usually just come back. Oh. Usually, um, so you get rid of the skin, and then there are not a lot of bones in catfish. They're actually fairly mean. fairly easy to work with once oh. you once you get the skin off. So you have know? to have the patience to skin them. But other than that, it's it's fairly. And once you get it down, it's not too bad. But yeah, get you know, make your cuts, pre-cuts, get a corner of the skin, take it back. And then just kind of fillet them per usual. And, and you know, the meat's usually, it comes off easy and it's really nice. Is there an upper limit to a, the size of a catfish you would eat? Yeah, you know, depending on where it comes from, uh, <laughs> you know, especially the freshwater varieties. You know, I, I try not to go over four or five pounds. Yeah. It's, you know, a lot of the rivers around here, there's a lot of, there's heavy metals and that sort of thing. And the longer they're in the water, the more that they accumulate. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say I, I usually don't eat anything over I would say five pounds. Uh, I know we and eat. I usually fish for eaters. I mean, you know, I don't really care about catching the, the yeah. giants, but yeah. No, I know I know there was uh, one summer when we were in school where we we ate a lot of catfish that you caught. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. Yeah, yeah. James River. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, blue catfish. Um, yeah, and they are good, especially you know, in that brackish water. The blue cats, um, you know, that they're, they're delicious, a little bit salty, and they just have a little more flavor. Yeah, something you catch further up. Um, how would you? How so? Is anything special? I mean, like I, like I said, when I was quote fishing for catfish, I would just 
take the biggest line we had. I, I think I put it on a shoe, uh, a shoestring, like 12 foot of shoestring and just toss it on a big hook. Um, with, with some, you know, with like whatever scraps we have lying around. Is that like an acceptable technique? <laughs> <laughs> you know, catfish aren't too picky. So, yeah. I mean, people catch them a lot of different ways. So. Yeah. Anything, um, you know, has a little bit of scent, you know, especially when they're actively feeding. You know, in general, you know, even with catfish or, or whatever you're fishing for, just try to match the hatch. Like, kind of see what's around. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's shrimp down south, use shrimp. You know, yeah, and we, and we had good luck with the, um, the DOA shrimp. Are you familiar with those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. We caught a bunch of stuff. Or Ryan Lee. Ryan caught a bunch of stuff with the DOA shrimp. And I'll use those under like a popping cork I was talking about uh, earlier. Yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of that floating cork that kind of rattles and makes a sound when you pop the pop the rod. Um, so I'll use the DOA shrimp or a gulp shrimp um, under the popping corks. And that's kind of a fun rig for cool. fishing shallow and shore. Yeah. Cool. Um, what about... So we we t- we talked a little bit about not eating big catfish. Is that is any kind of other health concerns in general about eating fish that you're catching? I mean, up here, I know. So Cinco de Terra, obviously down south, but we don't. I don't know much about it. I'm sure you haven't. I don't think we have to worry about that. So we don't have to talk about Cinco de so. Terra. But what I mean, other than other than that, like what is there anything you gotta worry about? Well, you know, Mama said moderation in all things. Right. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, my wife and I, we fair amount of meat uh, that i catch you know from the bay and uh but i would say it's like once a week that sort of thing Uh and i I think you're okay and you know the smaller the fish the less time they've had right to kind of accumulate some of those toxins or 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 heavy metals so you know if you want to be really safe i would say you know keep keep the younger smaller fish um but I, th- I think you'd have to eat a whole lot of a contaminated species before you really kind Started. of felt the effects. Yeah. So just to, just to kind of tie it all together, um, someone who hasn't doesn't doesn't know much about fishing, but wants to have something to kind of throw over, you know, throw a line in, and and hopefully occasionally get a fish in the boat. What's a real kind of bare bones, simple rig that's going to kind of be versatile? Um, what's you know what, how would you approach that? Yeah, so I mean, you know, starting out, just a basic spinning reel, um, which has kind of an open spool um, that's controlled by a bale. Line just comes off really easy to use, easy to operate, um, and then just something like a medium power rod, you know, in the six to seven foot range, mm-hmm. I would say. And then for a lot of the just basic fish, I would say anywhere from a ten to twenty pound test okay. line, you know, whether mm-hmm. you're using braid or or monofilament fluorocarbon leader is that like a good just like just put it on everything yeah if you have spooky fish or you're fishing clear water you know i, I use a fluorocarbon leader a lot and mm-hmm. i'll do a line to line knot or or use a swivel um you know depending on on how i'm fishing um and you know for a lot of the fishing i do you know a real simple way to just go out like in, in shallow water and you just throw in artificial lures. Just uh, it's called a, a paddle tail plastic. It's a soft plastic paddle tail lure. And you mm-hmm. attach that to a, you know, anywhere from an eighth ounce to a to a whatever an ounce uh, jig head. Paddle um, paddle tail. Paddle tail. Paddle tail to a jig head. Yeah, like Bass Assassins makes them. All kinds of companies make them. Yeah, man. Um, and and that's a real easy. Just kind of throw it out, reel it back in. Has its own action. Yeah, yeah imitates yeah. a small bait fish. Okay, and it works for all kinds of stuff. And know? then and then let's say you're doing your bottom fishing. You said what was the rig that you said? Uh, high low rig. High low rig. Yeah, that's that's kind of your real basic rig, but it you know it gets the job done. 
Um, and, and like I said, that's just that, that kind of wire rig has a couple of arms, right. hooks attached. And, right. And, and you, and that would be something you bought pre-made. Call yeah. it a high, it would be, would it be called a high-low rig? Is that it, like a, yeah, you'll usually? see, you'll, you'll see them. They're like, in, any tackle shop will have them. Um, I make my own, but, um, it's just as easy to buy them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just a, a piece of squid, a small shrimp, a blood worm. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that just kind of opens you up to a variety of species. You drop it down, kind of see what happens. Easy way to, uh, to get started. See what, see what's down there. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of folks, when you see people fishing from piers and that's what they're that, doing. Yeah. They're using just kind of that high level, especially in the Chesapeake Bay. But. I didn't send you this question. I don't know if we, and we can, we can get into it or we can't. Um, do you want to talk about fishing and conservation at all? <laughs> The connection between fishing and conservation, if there is one, you know. So at least for myself, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, no, I, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I follow the law. You know, yeah. first of all, yeah. um, and uh, and in general, you know, for I I try to let some of the bigger females go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it it seems like the right thing to do. And and um, in general, if you know, if I catch a, a a big lady trout or, um, or a rockfish, that sort of thing. Um, I'll, I'll tend to let those, those fish go. And you can kind of tell the cal- if they're, they're, they're full of eggs. Yeah. There are other ways to tell, but, um, I'll tend to let those fish go. Um, and you know, it, you know, a good policy is, you know, bring home what you're going to eat that night. Yeah. You yeah. Know what I mean, don't, you know, just no use in, in stock in the freezer too heavy or anything like that. You know, it's a, Precious resource, you know, should take care of. So I, you know, I try to only bring home what I'm going to eat that evening, you know, whatever we're going to have for that specific meal. Yeah. So. I think that makes sense. Part of the reason I ask is that, um, you know, I, I know you watch all the fishing YouTube channels. I watch, watch a lot of the sailing YouTube channels and you sometimes see people talking about, oh, well, we don't fish because it's bad. And, but to me, and I know this is the argument that a lot of hunters use as well, but that, you know, the people who are out there fishing, in a lot of ways are the people who have the most stake in the environment being shepherded. Right. So I, I do think there's a strong connection between, you know, recreational fishing and, um, and, you know, good stewardship of, of the, of the bay and, 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 and other water resources. Yeah. You know, in general, I'd say that, you know, it's kind of the fisherman's responsibility to be a good steward. And, and honestly, you know, a lot of the money, you know, from licenses and, uh, you know, gear, um, you know, we're, we're putting thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, in, into the sport every year. And a lot of that tends to, if that money wasn't going towards that purpose, there wouldn't necessarily be a reason to sustain, you know, that, re- that resource. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that, you know, as a fisherman, you have to consider yourself a, a steward of, of the water of, of the species that yeah. you're, you're interacting with. Yeah. So just to further poke the bee's nest, I, and we can cut this out if you want, but I, I, I did a little bit of Googling yesterday uh, and I came across the, um, the, on the VIMS website, their position on the Menhaden fishery in the Chesapeake Bay, uh, which you will find amusing, I think. Uh, it is the general position of VIMS that there is currently insufficient direct evidence to indicate that localized depletion of Menhaden from Chesapeake Bay has occurred. Hence, we do not support the implementation of drastic management regulations for the Menhaden industry. However, sufficient ancillary information regarding the possibility that Menhaden abundance in Chesapeake Bay is quite low exists and warrants serious consideration. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, you know, I would I would say if you talk to to most you know fishing guides in the area, the Chesapeake Bay in general, they would probably have a, a much different opinion. Um, yeah, and and I'll and I'll tell you when we were at um uh, out at Southwinds playing music the other night, and I overheard you talking to a, a local guy who was who's you know fishing for rockfish, and and he didn't have much good to say about. Uh, the Menhaden fishery. And that was when that, when that kind of light bulb went off in my head, like, oh, there really is that connection between, um, conservation and fishing because around here you would, you, most people tend to be fairly conservative and, um, you know, attitudes towards restricting fisheries you would think would be fairly, you know, anti-restricting fisheries, but that's, I would say that's not the case. Yeah. I think, you know, people, it's just, you know, the proof is in the pudding for sure. And, uh, you know, we don't have the the giant rockfish coming into the bay. You know, as prevalent as we used to. Um, well, and and this Vim's website, the Vim's report said that they're not even finding menhaden in rockfish bellies. It's very rare for them to find. Yeah, and that's you know another thing I've heard from from local uh, fishermen. You know, they're finding crabs and uh, you know not in general. I would say striper. They eat a huge variety of foods, but. You know, Menhaden should be the bread and butter, and yeah. and, they're, and folks just aren't finding that as much as they used to. But you know, in Menhaden, you know, they support so much life in the Chesapeake Bay. You know, the fish, the birds, you yeah, know, a lot, a lot of species rely on those Menhaden. And when you're, you know, when you're harvesting just thousands and thousands of cubic tons, yeah, it's a hundred. It was uh, I, I looked it up. It was three hundred and twenty-five million pounds of Menhaden from the Chesapeake Bay. Or in just in Virginia, actually, just in, and most and most of it's in Virginia, but some of it's in Maryland. Yeah, and I, I just don't, I don't know how that couldn't affect you know the overall ecosystem as a whole. You know, it's just yeah. it, it, <laughs> it, it seems silly. Yeah, uh, no, no, but no. but you know, even in the short time that I've been fishing Chesapeake Bay, you know, you can you notice a decline just in the bait, you know, in the local area and and then the rockfish that follow them. So yeah. I, I, I would say that, you know, there's probably they need to take a, a, better, a better look at that, uh, <laughs> at that situation. So finally, um, so it seems like, or it seems like, I know for a fact, you have the fishing fever in the same way that I have the, uh, the sailing bug. So just to, real quick, what, uh, what is it about fishing that, uh, that, uh, that obsesses you? Well, you know, it's the hunt. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's always, <laughs> you know, it, I don't necessarily need to go out and, and catch a hundred fish. It's great when you do, yeah. but, uh, it's, it's more of the experience kind of being in nature and then, and trying to, uh, just kind of solve the puzzle, you know, it's kind of, it's, it, and a lot of times I say it's more, it's more hunting than fishing. It's, uh -huh. try, it's trying to, uh, to kind of track that species down and, and, and kind of figure it out that day in, the, in those particular, um, set of conditions that you're given. And it's, it's just, it's a challenge. Um, and, you know, just kind of being on the water and close to the water, being, being close to nature, um, you know, just kind of, that's where, it's where I'm at peace, you know? Yeah. So, you know, but it's a, it's a, a lifelong pursuit. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. I think that's a, it's a good place to end it. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks no for, uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Cool, man. This was great. I, I learned a lot. So th thanks. Yeah, man. No problem. A lot of fun. Right on. there you have it. Thanks to Jared for sharing his time and expertise, 
and I should probably take this opportunity to thank him for the many fish dinners over the years. Uh, we referenced it briefly during the podcast, but there was one summer as undergrads uh, when I was working for the LTER, the Long-Term Ecosystem Research Project, and they screwed up payroll and I didn't get paid for six weeks, and I subsisted largely on catfish that Jared had caught. Uh, so thanks, buddy. It's good to have good friends. Uh, and thanks to you for listening in. As always, I am greatly appreciative uh, and pleasantly surprised. Uh, if you feel inclined, leave us a comment and a star rating on iTunes, and be sure to subscribe on your podcast app as well. Tune in next month on March 1st for my conversation with James Elfers, author of Blue Water Sailing on a Budget. He's a marine surveyor and knows a lot about boats, uh, and he has some great insights to share. One thing that Jared said that stood out to me was that he treats fishing like hunting. Uh, he's looking for signs in the water, in the environment. He's paying attention to the stage of the tide, to the effect of, of the wind on water movement. He's looking at charts of the bottom contours, uh, and he's assessing how these factors affect the behavior of the fish that he's, he's chasing. Uh, and I think that attention to detail must account for at least a significant chunk of, of his success as a fisherman. And it also seems clear to me that sailors are going to be attuned to many of these same factors as well. Um, and it probably doesn't take a huge leap for someone to do some homework and start trying to get into the head of a fish. Um, I can also see that Jared and I have, have both gone down the, uh, the rabbit holes of our respective hobbies, obsessions, favored leisure pastimes. <laughs> uh, and I think that's another thing that diehard sailors and fishermen have in common. And that is what seems like a hobby or perhaps an unhealthy obsession to an outside observer is something decidedly more than that. And spending time on the water with the opportunity to push yourself and learn and be challenged uh, and to be rewarded for that effort uh, is what makes these things more than just a hobby, uh, but rather a part of how we are fulfilled. And there's always the next horizon or a bigger fish. That's it for this episode of The Bonnie Boat. Thanks for listening. I know time is my most scarce resource these days, so I appreciate you uh, choosing to spend your time listening here. One of the reasons I decided to throw my hat into the podcast ring is to get in touch with other like-minded sailing maniacs. To that end, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me at thebonnieboat at gmail.com. You can find us online at thebonnieboat.wordpress.com. And remember, to be a sailor, you don't need a YouTube channel with 100,000 video subscribers. You don't need an Instagram account with pictures of beautiful people in their bathing suits. You certainly don't need a podcast. You don't even need a boat. You just need to go sailing. Until next time, this is Firefly standing by on Channel 16.
Hello, we're still here. Careful listeners of the show may recognize Jared's name, and that would be because his mandolin player has appeared on numerous previous episodes. And this tune here, I uh, I mentioned in the episode, is a fiddle tune called Nail the Catfish to the Tree, (laughs) which is uh, a convenient, if slightly horrific, way to skin a catfish, I suppose. Um, Myself on guitar, and of course our guest today, Mr. Jared Lawson on mandolin, uh, and you can hear at the end, we, we started to go into another tune, but I, I cut it off because of our, our instruments were starting to, uh, to go out of tune. Anyways, here it is. Nail the catfish to the tree. Thank you. 